0: Lord Jesus, we do want to follow You and deny ourselves, but truth be told, we don't know how to do that. So, Lord, please use Your Word tonight to teach us, to make us different people, to transform us, and and we'll be grateful. We pray this in Your name, Jesus. Amen. You probably don't know this about me, but I have a split personality. It's true. Let me give you an example. Sometimes I'll be driving down the road in my car, listening to Christian music, maybe singing along, maybe even praying, and then someone cuts me off or drives too slowly, and suddenly I begin to behave not like Jesus would behave. And there I am, just sort of singing to God, How great Thou art, how great... Hey, buddy! Thou art. Split personality. Living for Jesus one minute denying him by my actions the next. And maybe some of you can relate. Maybe, for instance, you come to church and and feel inspired by the music and motivated by the message, but no sooner are you out the door than you find yourself gossiping about someone or, or judging someone in your mind. Maybe you make a New Year's resolution to control your temper, but by kickoff time at the Rose Bowl, you're yelling at your kids. Split personality. Being who we want to be one minute, and then be in who we don't want to be the next. That's pretty much Peter's problem in the story that we just read. He figures out that Jesus is the Son of God, which is great. In fact, Jesus gets so excited about it, he gives him a new name. He says, you're not going to be Simon anymore. You're going to be Peter, which means the rock. But then when Jesus goes on to say that he's going to go to Jerusalem and die on a cross to forgive sins, Peter says, no, Lord... An oxymoron, two words that don't go together. And then Jesus says, get behind me, Satan, which must have been devastating for Peter. You can sort of imagine if someone had asked him at the end of the day, hey, Peter, how was your day? What he might have said, right? Oh, it was okay. My spiritual mentor called me Satan. But other than that, it's fine. Peter's got a split personality. On track with God one minute, denying him the next. And what he discovers is that if he's a rock, he has a terrible tendency to roll, as do we all. So how do we get out of this dilemma? How do we become the kind of people that we want to be on a consistent basis? Two things from this story. First is we have to follow the real Jesus, not the Jesus that we make up. You see, it's not so much that Peter doesn't want to follow Jesus. It's that he wants to follow the Jesus of his own invention. To Peter, what Jesus being the Messiah means is that Jesus is going to come in and and kick out the Romans who've been occupying Israel for, for decades. And maybe when Jesus is done with that, maybe he'll do something nice for Peter. Maybe promote him to a vice messiah or something like that. That's the Jesus that Peter wants to follow. It's the same with the crowds who welcomed Jesus into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, which we celebrate tonight. Shouting Hosanna on Sunday because they think he's going to kick out the Romans, but then shouting crucify him on Friday because he didn't do it. And truth be told, I'm a lot like that. Willing to follow the Jesus that I make up, willing to follow the Jesus that does nice things for me, but not always willing to follow the real Jesus. And there are a lot of made-up Jesuses out there. For instance, there's the Jesus who is just a great moral teacher, but not the only Son of God. That's a favorite made-up Jesus of a lot of people. The problem with that made-up Jesus, though, is that the real Jesus said that he was the unique Son of God, which makes him either crazy or right. And he didn't act like a crazy person, so he must have been right. Not only that, but who wants to follow a moral teacher? Because... All moral teachers do is give you a bunch of rules. Jesus gives us a relationship. Who who needs rules, right? It's like an endless grammar lesson. That doesn't bring anyone any joy. So that made-up Jesus is no good. Then there's the Jesus who's our cosmic busboy. There to meet our every demand. Make our careers go well. Make us sort of comfortable and happy. But the problem with that made-up Jesus is that happiness is overrated. Because it's based on what's happening around us, as the word implies. And that's why the real Jesus didn't come to make us happy. He came to make us whole. Because when we're whole, we can have joy in all circumstances, and that's better. And then there's the convenient Jesus. The Jesus who never asks anything of us. Doesn't ask for our time or our money. Just lets us do whatever we want to do. But the problem with that Jesus is, if we follow him, we're not really following anybody but ourself. And our own desire. And that's dangerous because a lot of times we don't know what's good for us. There are a lot of made-up Jesuses out there. And if we follow them, the result is we get a split personality. Following the real Jesus one minute. And then when we don't like it, switching teams and following our own desires. So the question that Jesus asked in this story is the right question. Who do you say that he is? A teacher? A busboy? A convenient fiction? Or the risen Lord who's the forgiver of your sins and the leader of your life? And how we answer that question is very important because where we end up in life depends on who we're following. And if we're following a made-up Jesus, we're going to get a split personality. But if we're following the real Jesus, we'll end up becoming more like Him, which is great because He was pretty cool. We need to follow the real Jesus. Which brings me to my second point, and this one is uncomfortable. Because what the real Jesus asks of us is that we deny ourselves and follow him. Deny ourselves. This sermon's just getting better and better, isn't it? That doesn't sound very good, deny ourselves. But I think we have to figure out, we have to know what deny ourselves means. Because I don't think it means we go around making ourselves miserable. Jesus doesn't say, if you want to follow me, you have to really hate it. He says, you need to deny yourself. And to deny something means to disavow any connection with something. It's what Peter is going to do a little later in the Gospels. He's going to deny Jesus. Remember, they asked Peter, do do you know this Jesus bloke? And he says, I don't know the man. Have no connection to him at all. And so when we deny ourselves, we say the same thing about ourselves. I don't know the man. No connection. It's, what's, it's C.S. Lewis's point that humility isn't thinking less of yourself. Humility is not thinking of yourself at all. And doesn't that sound freeing? Not to always worry about yourself. Am I okay? Am I happy? You know, do people like me? But just to be free from that. To deny self means we don't belong to ourselves. We belong to Jesus, and He has the ultimate claim on us. Before I came here, whenever someone would ask me, what's your next career move? Are you going to go back to the university? Are you going to be a senior pastor? I would always say, that's none of my business. I don't know. Ask God. I belong to him. That's his business. I have no idea. That was denying self. I wasn't making myself miserable. I was just saying, I don't have any claim to myself. I don't own me. Jesus owns me. You ask him. And I've got to tell you, as a person who used to worry constantly about my career, fretting every day about my career, that was so liberating not to think of self. To deny ourselves and follow the real Jesus means that what we find is freedom and joy. Let me ask you a question. Do you believe that? Do you believe that to deny self and follow Jesus leads to joy? Because if I were you sitting in the pews, I'm not sure I would believe it. In fact, if I were you, I might be sitting there thinking, ooh, denying self, hmm, wonder when that benediction is coming. How long, how much longer, let's bring the band back, you know, my friends, may you grow in grace, let's get on with it. That's kind of what I start to think whenever I think here about denying self. I mean, I think that and I'm preaching this sermon, so if you all are thinking that, you're excused. If you're not picking up what I'm laying down, I understand. But here's the thing. When we believe that denying self leads to nothing but misery, we miss something very important out of what Jesus is saying. In fact, we miss the same thing that Peter misses in this story. When Jesus says that he's going to deny himself, be crucified, and then raised on the third day, and Peter says, no, Lord, that sounds terrible. What's Peter leaving out? What's he forgetting about? But Jesus said, he's forgetting about the raised from the dead part, the raised to new life part. All he's hearing is the, the, the denying self, the suffering part. He doesn't hear the new life part. But that's our promise. When we deny ourselves and follow the real Jesus, we get a new life, a better life, a richer life that nobody can take away from us. Jesus puts it this way. If you try to find your life, you'll lose it. But if you lose it, you'll find it kind of confusing, isn't it? If you lose it, you'll find it. If you find it, you lose it. Kind of Zen-like, right? But it's true if you think about it. What do we get when we try to find our life, when we try to secure our life and make ourselves happy? What do we get? Well, we get a lot of anxiety. All that striving to get ahead, all that keeping up with the Joneses, grasping for more money just makes us anxious people. It's like Gershwin's line in Porgy and Bess, folks with plenty of plenty got a lock on the door, afraid someone's going to rob them while they're out making more. When we try to secure our lives, we just get anxious. More than that, sometimes we find that we get what we want, but then we don't want what we get. Ever had that happen? The new car, the new house, the vacation, the promotion, the joy of those things can fade pretty quickly, can't it? My wife and I are homeowners for the first time and, and so all year we've found the joy of making little improvements around the house. And whenever we make one of those improvements, it makes us so happy for a week, 10 days tops. And then we think of a new improvement that we want to do and, 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 and what we've discovered is that we are so close to eternal happiness. In fact, it's always just one purchase away. Stripe right there, you know. There is no ceiling on desire. By trying to secure our lives, we make ourselves frantic, anxious, always wanting more and more. As you've heard me say before, John Stott says that the three deepest longings of the human heart are for transcendence, significance, and community. But in our affluent culture, what we usually end up with is fear, envy, and loneliness. In trying to secure our lives, we lose them. Let me give you two examples from the last century. Two famous people that we've all heard about. Mother Teresa and Elvis Presley. I know, one of those things is not like the other, I know. Just go with me on this one, okay? Both had a huge impact on our culture, right? Now, if someone said to you, you have to live one of these lives, which one of those lives would you want to live? Elvis or Mother Teresa? Be honest, right? Elvis' life looks pretty good. Especially at first, right? Money, fame, success. He's a great musician, right? Helps invent a whole new style of music. And Mother Teresa, what's that? Picking up dying people in Calcutta. Especially before she was famous. What did she get out of that? But then look at them both at the end. Elvis dies alone. Addicted to drugs. Kind of desperate. What started out as glamorous ends up a little bit sad at the end. And then you look at Mother Teresa and it's the opposite. What what looked like misery and joylessness at first turns into something that's inspiring and joy-filled. And because of Mother Teresa, a whole country has hope. And because of Elvis, we have blue suede shoes. A great song. But surely there's more. If we try to secure our lives, we lose them. But... When we deny ourselves and follow the real Jesus, what we find is joy. But you know what? I'm a preacher. And I'm supposed to say things like that. So I'd actually like you to hear this from someone who sits in the pews. So I've invited Brent Christie to to come up and share a little bit of how he's finding joy by following the real Jesus.
1: You know, I think uh, all I really ever wanted to be in life was a high school basketball coach but my career was in the hotel and hospitality business. I lived a life of uh, limousines and presidential suites. I studied everyone from Dale Carnegie to Stephen Covey to Caesar Ritz. I was a director and I was a pretty good promoter. You see, I loved, I loved making decisions and I loved convincing everyone that they would love the decisions that I made. (laughs) You see, I think politely, (laughs) I instilled fear in others out of my, my own fear of losing control. But I was approaching uh, what uh, Buford would call halftime in my life. I'd had some success, but I was looking for significance. There was a void that couldn't be filled with more prestige and promotions and power. And every time I'd put more material things in the void, it just kept getting bigger. I was looking for purpose, and I was looking for my passion. Last June, um, I heard a, 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 here at church about Eastside Academy, and they needed mentors. So I gained the courage to overcome the fear to walk into a room that I didn't control to learn about becoming a mentor. Shortly thereafter, I joined a small group. I attended a Christian Leadership Summit. By the way, it was the best management course I ever took in my life. And I joined the board of Eastside Academy. But I couldn't sit on a board. I needed to serve. But more importantly, I needed to know who I was serving. So I showed up at an outing on Lake Sammamish for the students of Eastside Academy. But it ended up being a gray and cold day, not surprising, I guess, and after the hamburgers were gone there wasn't a lot going on so we picked up a basketball and God showed up more life started to happen around this little concrete slippery concrete pad at Vasa Park where we started playing ball and the girls ran over and grabbed Greg's camera and life started to happen there well it wasn't very long after that we formed a basketball team and we were a state-sanctioned high school so we um, We petitioned the WIAA, and we had a team. We bought some uniforms with what money we had up at Eastside Academy, and then we put out an APB to all high schools west of the mountains that this little last-chance high school of 25 kids at First Presbyterian Church up here upstairs had a basketball team, and we wanted to play somebody. It was exciting. The first practice, 14 boys showed up. We only have 17 in the whole school. (laughs) But then, a couple of weeks later, towards Thanksgiving, four boys showed up. But I showed up, and God showed up, and we had a talk. You see, not too long ago, this was about me. And how dare these boys, after all the time and the energy I was putting into this, not show up. But God said, wait, it's not about you at all. Trust me. Trust him. Be faithful. Be a good servant leader. Well, the boys showed back up. And then December 4th, 2003, at the gym over there, we played Cedar Park High School, our first basketball game. And the parents showed up. And more parents showed up and started cheering. For the first time in their lives, they had something to cheer for. And parents that had never shown up in these kids' lives before we're sitting in those bleachers or those seats. God gave us a victory that day, and to see those parents run across that court and hug those boys' sweaty bodies and the smiles on both their faces. You see, God was creating fellowship, he was creating family, he had created community, and he had restored trust and hope And faith where there was none. And I was one of those people that thought about these last chance kids. He built a team around a basketball, a team of students, parents, teachers, and a community of supporters, much of you here at this church. And I, I got to sit on the bench and watch God work. I came alongside one of the kids in that outing in June. And the next time I got together with him, We prayed outside of his jail cell at the juvenile detention center in downtown Seattle. You see, like a lot of teens at the end of the summer, he'd been out drinking with friends and got in a skirmish with some guys and and hurt one of them pretty good. But I got to bring him home with his ankle bracelet on, and I went through that process of learning how those ankle bracelets work. But we had just enough time that I asked him could we stop by Evangel, I'd like to buy a Bible. He thought that'd be okay, that'd be pretty cool. I took him home and got to meet his parents, and I've enjoyed a good relationship with him still up to this day, I was with them Friday night. His life is still a little messy, but there's light coming through, and he prays. You know, in fact, before a basketball game it was this big tough kid that said, coach, coach, can we pray? Can we pray? Well, we always prayed before a game, and we always prayed before and after practice. But it's amazing how, when you take time to listen to God, how it calms us all and speaks to us. So when we get together now, he asks about God, and I try to do the best I can in my journey to tell him about God. And he even came to church this Sunday at Sixth Service one time. You know, my passion now is real simple, it's servant leadership. And my purpose is only one purpose: is to serve God by serving others. You know, Erwin um, McManus, the minister at uh, Mosaic Church and great author of some great books, would call it call me perhaps a barbarian Christian, because you see, I I love the mess, I love getting in the mix, I love the risk, but I love the creativity and the joy. And the beauty that flows out of that see I've now experienced what joy and what happiness really is I now am rich I'm rich not with that stuff but with genuine and authentic relationships and you know in the end there was only one book that I needed to read and there was only one model that I needed to follow And in the end, he finally made me a basketball coach.
0: Too bad he's so miserable, huh? (laughs) You see, it sounds difficult and harsh at first to think about denying self and and following Jesus. And, And I'm sure... Truth in advertising, sometimes it is. I'm sure there's times when Brent feels discouraged or frustrated, maybe doesn't want to show up to practice himself, but in the end, it brings new life. He is getting to come alongside at-risk kids and watch their lives blossom. How cool is that? And it doesn't happen overnight. By his own admission, Brent's not perfect, but he's on a journey. And it certainly is not going to happen through a lot of self-discipline. The only way that's going to happen in our lives is if we get to know the real Jesus by praying and reading the Scriptures and, and being around His people. And then He will give us the ability to do this. And, and don't worry, no one's asking you to go out and do something huge right off the bat. No one's asking you to be Mother Teresa. But you can care for a neighbor or teach Sunday school or listen to a co-worker who needs a sympathetic ear. And then gradually, as we turn from self and follow the real Jesus, we begin to experience joy. You know, in this story that we read, Peter is a divided man, just like you and just like me. Following Jesus one minute and then following self the next. But Jesus says that he will make Peter into a rock and that even the gates of hell will not prevail against God's purposes. And that's what he does. We don't remember Peter by his original name, Simon. We remember him as Peter, the rock, the the founder of the church, the great Preacher at Pentecost, the disciple who was willing to be crucified upside down for Christ's sake. Because Peter followed the real Jesus, not the Jesus of his own invention, God used his obedience, however divided it was, to forge him into the rock that did not roll. And that is what God will do for you, and God will do for me, and the gates of hell cannot prevail against God's purposes. Who are you following? Your own desires? yourself, a made-up Jesus, or the risen Son of God, forgiver of your sins and the leader of your life, who Himself practiced what He preached, denied Himself, gave up the comforts of heaven, left everything behind, and at the cross lost everything, lost His title, lost His power, lost His life so that He could find you and that He could find me. But that was not the end of the story. Next Sunday is the end of the story. The resurrection is the end of the story. The empty tomb is the end of the story. And now He sits at the right hand of God the Father and someday the Bible says He will come back and every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. In losing His life, Jesus found it. In dying, He lived. And He is our model and He will do the same thing for you and the same thing for me. You see, the cross we bear always leads to the crown we wear. And there is no earthly loss we endure no hardship we encounter that isn't followed by resurrection and new life if we know the real Jesus. And it's out of that security that we can fling our lives away because when we give them to Him, He gives them back to us again in spades. Lord Jesus, thank You so much that when we deny ourselves and follow You, we get joy and we get freedom. Lord, help us to live this out. It's hard to do. Help us to live this out so that we can become more like you. Do this and we'll be grateful people. In Jesus' name, amen.